and gentlemen, boys and girls, another week, another Tuesday. Keep changing the dates up on you this uh, this year. But we got another episode back of the Crescent Sports Report. Now, I know it has been a while, but Cole, Evan, and I have all been busy with other various things. So it's been kind of difficult to get either two or three of us in here at the same time. So, uh, you know, we're back doing it when we can. But let you guys introduce yourself real fast. Cole, say what's up. What's up? Evan, what's going on? Hey, hey. So, obviously, a lot of things have happened. I feel like I say that in a ton of episodes because we just take so much time. But, like we always do, we're not just going to dwell on a whole lot of time in the past and just go over everything that's happened the past two months. We're going to kind of keep it in the now. But first, going to leave a quick spot for our sponsors. This portion of our podcast is brought to you by Insert Your Name or Company Here. Crescent.Evansville.edu receives over a thousand new visitors a month and during that time receives nearly 6,000 page views. Become part of the student media family and advertise with us on our website, Crescent.Evansville.edu, or let us highlight you right here on this podcast and we'll talk about your business, product, and or service. So there's a lot of things going on with professional sports, the NBA in-season tournament, uh, the World Series happened college football playoffs uh were just selected the nfl is coming down to the wire not necessarily to the wire but it's towards the end of the season we're seeing some playoff races heat up but i want to talk about the aces baby ue is on fire oh my goodness man like i i didn't expect to see it coming i don't know about you guys anyone no they're shaking their heads nope you know we got some dogs this year like, that's all I'm saying. We came into this year being having won five games last year. I think I watched a large majority of the games. I honestly, like, I worked a few of them for the broadcast. I never actually, like, went and just watched as a fan. But I was like, you know, just if we can we can be better than last year's team, I'll be happy. We went and beat Miami first game of the season. I went to that one. That was electric. That was a, that was a good game, you know. I was like, all right, well, we beat Miami last year. Like, you know, no big deal. Then we beat UHSP by 70, like beat the snot out of them. I'm like, all right, well, that's an NAIA team, so no big deal. Then we played SEMO, and I was like, okay, well, SEMO was a tournament team last year. Like, you know, this should be a good game. Beat them by 20 on the road. And I was like, uh-oh. Like, Evansville kind of hot right now. We got Ball State, then they're coming in. We're both 3-0. We played Ball State at home. Beat them by 24. And I was like, I think this might be our year. Like, I went from being completely non-believer to just we're winning the national championship in the span of four games against all mid-major opponents. But is there anything you guys have seen this year that makes you think we're better or make you realize why we're better than what we were last year? One, the team's finally the coach's team. Last year kind of had some stragglers still from the old regime. This year I think he's really done a good job to clean up the locker room, clean up the guys he's got. Got some guys out of the transfers. Obviously got Chuck Bailey. Um, kind of implemented his own personal style of play. And they play really well. They play with a lot of confidence, which is good to see. Um, obviously, Hummerkhouse has been sensational. His shot-making ability is just ridiculous. Um, and uh, the most positive thing is there's a lot of room to grow from seeing him play. And I think the biggest thing with that goes down to with Chuck. Um, obviously, super talented player and when he gets in it's always electric and everybody's just sitting and waiting for him to do something just explosive and crazy and amazing which he has done multiple times so props to him for that 
Um, but I feel like once they really figure out how to utilize him properly, this team could possibly take another big step. Because you watch him play, and you watch the starters kind of go in, and they've got a really good mesh, a really good gel. They play as a team. They move the ball well, lots of ball movement, lots of screening. But also, when you know you have the shot, they take the shot. They don't kind of overpass. They're not over um, aggressive. They're a good kind of mix between the two. Um, but then whenever Chuck's in the game, it almost feels like it's four dudes and Chuck playing. The four guys have really good chemistry. They're kind of playing well together and almost not necessarily playing passively, but almost in the back of their minds, every decision they're making is, should I give the ball to Chuck? And I feel like that's obviously you kind of have to think that, and he gets so little kind of playing time at a time, which again, he's a freshman. So you got to kind of work him into things and not put too much pressure on a young guy. Um, but I feel like a lot of times everybody, including himself, in the back of their head is when's Chuck kind of kind of touch the ball when he's in the game. And I feel like that goes with the coaching staff, the other players, the other team. Everybody's just kind of waiting when is Chuck going to kind of do his individual thing. And so a lot of times I feel like it's almost four dudes and him and everybody's just expecting him to do something spectacular instead of him being able to fully incorporate him with the team. Um, so once that kind of happens, I feel like this team could take another big step forward. But one of the biggest things for me is the defense. Like, obviously, scoring, you can have streaks, you can have all those sorts of things. But the ability to play defense has been sensational for this team. I mean, we got a lot of size, which is good. I mean, Chuck's a lockdown on-ball defender. Thomas is an extremely good defender. Um, so we got a lot of guys that can really – we got lengthy um, players to kind of cover up a lot of passing zones. I know when we put that press on um, the other day, we just absolutely looked phenomenal defensively. And then, like, to come back against Chattanooga – like, that was impressive to be down that much. Like, that speaks to a lot of um, poise by the team, and that comes down to coaching. I mean, the ability of that coach um, and that whole coaching staff to really instill confidence in the players and make them believe in themselves to come back and stay in the game when they could have let that one get out of hand, that was extremely impressive to me. So that's kind of where I've been with the team. Watching that Chattanooga game, there was 10 minutes left. I was watching the whole game, and I'm just like, oh, man, down 10 – or down 20, actually, with 10 minutes left. And I was like, well, maybe this is where we kind of, like, hit our – not necessarily hit our ceiling, but Chattanooga was, like, a team that we knew going in was going to be good. I think they were undefeated as well. They had just received votes in the poll. So I was like, all right, this is going to be, like, a tough game. And then we got down 20. I'm like, ah, shit, you know, it's over. Like, UE is going to beat some solid teams, but, like, never, like, get a win that we're not supposed to, you know. And then Ben Humrick House became like he, he was walking on water, man. You you gave him the ball, he put it up, and it was going in. It was like every possession that he's come down the court, nail a three. Going down the other end, block. Come down, nail a three. That pull up jumper, whenever that he hit to take the lead there in regulation, I probably could have done a backflip. And I I'll tell you, I can't even do a backflip on trampoline. I probably could have landed that like just concrete, like no. I would have had no thoughts about it because I would he made me want to run through a brick wall. So, but Evan, to your point about the defense, Humbrick House, great shot blocker. Same with Josh Hughes. Like, we're really using that length uh, to an advantage where, you know, they're not like traditional big guys where they're only playing down on the paint. They're kind of able to play at the perimeter, but then they're still, like, making shots really difficult. They're both averaging about two blocks a game. Uh, and then you mentioned we've got the really good um, on-ball defenders, but I think it's just – like the depth this year has been insane. It feels like every game we got someone that's putting up 20 points. Like Antonio Thomas went ballistic the other day against you and I. Ben Hummerhouse, obviously, we mentioned a few games he went crazy. Yassine Toomey had 20 points against SEMO. Chuck has been had like 27 against Missouri State, even though he lost, but he went crazy. He's been two-time freshman of the week 
it just feels like every single game someone else has been insane. Even Kenny Strawbridge, like he's only averaging nine right now. He was our leading scorer last year. I mean, you're just kind of waiting for him to have another game like that. It's just so difficult when we have so many people that have been like damn good this year. So, Cole, what are, are you? What are you thinking for tonight? Obviously, well, I'll preface this: uh, UE plays BYU, the number fourteen ranked team in the nation. Got the Cougars in Utah, so on the road. Team's already over there. What are you thinking, Cole? Um, I have no clue. I don't really watch uh, UE basketball. I know I'm a student, but I don't really watch. So honestly, I'm expecting us to get waxed. Just because I know BYU's undefeated, they're the fourteen, they're ranked fourteen currently. They're like twenty-five point favorites. I I don't see any way we put up a fight. I don't know. I mean, obviously, power five teams are like a different beast. But looking kind of on paper, I feel like the one thing that scares me as a UE fan watching those games is looking at someone who's going to have size and then go down in the paint and be low, just be a traditional big man. Like they're going to score in the paint. They're going to grab rebounds. They're going to block shots. BYU doesn't really have that. Their tallest dudes are all, you know, averaging five points a game, two rebounds, and they're shooting a bad percentage. So it's like if they're shooting that bad of a percentage, either they're really, really, really bad in the paint or they are not making, or they're shooting outside the, like at the perimeter or something. So they don't really have that size that's going to be like, oh, who's going to guard, who's going to match up against them. So I think that's one positive. Also, I meant to mention this earlier when I was talking about the depth. Tanner Cuff is a dude I feel like does not get a lot of love. He is a dog. He is so good. Like in that Chattanooga game, I mean, obviously Ben Hummerkhouse went crazy. But watching that game, I was like, holy shit, Tanner Cuff is not going to get the love that he deserves. But he's going just crazy right now. It was like he was taking charges. He was blocking shots, getting steals. He would dishing a get a bucket here or there he was making all the right passes he was grabbing boards like it was he was all over the place he just wasn't the one that was getting the buckets that was like the PA announcer screaming his name everyone's like this guy's insane but he was making the right play literally every single time he touched the ball and I think that without Tanner Cuff Ben Hummerkhouse is not in that position to make those shots and put us back into that game so I just want to say like I don't I mean obviously I'm not like listening to like radio broadcasts or seeing other podcasts about people or about the aces, but Tanner Cuff got to give him his flowers. He's been damn good. They have been very fundamental. I've noticed that a lot. And like, especially in kind of going back to like that poise to come back against Chattanooga and you saw it against you and I like Gage Bob has really struggled offensively throughout the season. Like I think he hit a shot in the UNI game, but he really, really has struggled early on um, kind of finding a groove and finding a rhythm. But he finished that game. Like, they put him in towards the end of the second half, and he played all the way through overtime, and he played really well. He didn't have to be an offensive guy, which kind of what everybody expects him to be, but he got down on a defensive stance. He made that stop towards the end of uh, over. Or I think it was the end of regulation there. Um, and he just played solid fundamental basketball, and I feel like a lot of those guys cuffs another one that just make the right play a lot of the time, and that's sometimes all you need out of some of those supporting roles to let guys like Hummerkhaus, Chuck, Toomey, um, to kind of take over games at times. Obviously, Thomas took over. Um, Strawbridge had a good game. So, like, you kind of look, and we different games, we have guys that can kind of take care of matchups and take advantage of game styles um, and play the best that they can and then kind of pop off night by night, which is really good to have. But then also, again, you mentioned that depth. Those guys can play fundamentally, and I feel like they've really bought into the system. As for tonight, I could see it going either way, honestly. So I look at kind of BYU, what they've been doing. Um, obviously, they beat San Diego State when they were ranked 17th by 9. So that's a 
that's a pretty big time win against a big time opponent. Um, in Vegas, they beat Arizona State by a lot, and they beat NC State also by nine. And then recently, they just beat Fresno State by like thirty. So they're definitely on a hot streak. But I could also, so I haven't watched BYU play, so I don't know. But there is a chance just by how our team plays. Again, you mentioned that the other that BYU is not really a big man's team. That matchup wise, there could be just a play style matchup differential that somehow favors us in a way and that would be extremely good to see um obviously in men's college basketball anything can happen we see it time and time again teams upsetting teams that definitely should not be beating um so i think if our guys are hitting the shots we get, we have to play like a tournament team tonight if we want to win we have to play like a umbc like beating virginia kind of team like you have an open shot you take it you pull it with confidence you know you're going to make it and you just have to see it go down and it has to go down a lot of those sometimes go with lucky lucky bounces. Um, some effort plays need to be made. Charges need to be made. Like when you're playing a team of that caliber, you got to be willing to make the extra effort a lot of times. Um, and I think this team's the one that can do it. They have a really good foundation with this coach and the system. Um, they have the guys that I think could possibly have a big night. And sometimes you just need the other team to have a bad day and anybody could beat anybody. I think if you get hot too, like that puts a lot of pressure on BYU, especially because someone's coming in, like you're ranked, you're undefeated. You got someone coming in that's a, right now, according to Vegas, I believe a 24 and a half point underdog. Yeah, BYU's favorite by 24 and a half points. So you got someone that's coming in, like you're supposed to beat the snot out of them, just kind of, you know, another day's work. And if UE can get hot and put the pressure on them, like early in the second half, you know, they kind of have, get some stops or like hit a few buckets or whatever, I, obviously it's going to be, uh, heightened in the NCAA tournament, but it's kind of you start playing just out of your, I guess, game plan just because you're so worried and nervous that it's kind of like, oh, no, what do we do here? And you start playing kind of panicked and you don't have the right sense of urgency and you start taking shots that you don't want. You start, you know, being careless, which I feel like I've seen that time and time again in the NCAA tournament. So I feel like there's really two ways that upsets happen, and it's that – where you kind of get hot, hit a couple shots, or you really just slow the game down and just make it super grueling. But I don't know. I'm curious to see how we, how we do here. But I, looking at BYU scoring, it comes from a lot of guards. And we've got a lot of people that are good on-ball defenders, and we've got a lot of help in the paint with Hughes and Hummerkhouse. So I honestly, ESPN has UE as a 3.6% chance to win. I think it it's way, way closer to that. 24.5 points for the spread is unreal. Like, I looked last night, and it was plus 2,500 money line for UE to win. And when I checked this morning, it was plus 2,000. So, I mean, Vegas is at least feeling our uh, our momentum a little bit, swinging 500 points in our favor. But I don't know. It's got to be a trap game for BYU. And that's the one thing I think that also kind of scares me, is that BYU doesn't seem like the type of team that gets caught up in trap games. So, a lot of times with really good teams, like, I mean, you see it with Kentucky. They just lost recently. Duke's lost two in a row, which, I mean, Arkansas can be a legitimate opponent. But I feel like every year when Duke's ranked, like, number one, they lose to, uh, to Georgia Tech. Like, that, obviously, they should not be losing that game. So every once in a while, there's, like, those big teams that just go to a lesser opponent, and it's just a trap game, and I don't know what goes on. I mean, Purdue kind of just had one against Northwestern, um, and that happens a lot in basketball. But I'm also, like, kind of thinking about the teams BYU plays all the time. And I'm looking on here, it's like Bellarmine, Wyoming, Georgia State, Denver. You, I mean, Utah can be legit. But all of those other teams are probably around, if not better, than our team. 
but not necessarily on the same level. And I feel like that's where a lot of those trap games come in is that the better team is like, all right, this team's not any good. We're going to blow through them. Let's go raise the roof, throw down 360s, all that kind of stuff. And then the other team shows up to play, and it, momentum's a real thing in basketball. Versus with BYU, I feel like they always are playing lesser opponents and kind of those mid-major-y type opponents. Um, and so for them, I feel like they probably won't get caught up in a trap game as much, especially with how hot Evansville's been. We're not going to surprise anybody coming out in Humber House dropping three threes in the first three minutes. So we got to also know that that's probably going to happen as well. One thing I feel like is maybe BYU might be overrated just looking at their, their game so far. I mean, obviously they're 7-0, and ranked 14th in the nation. That's good. But, you know, when you play um, – like they're in coming into the season, they were projected to finish second last in the Big 12. So obviously, not a whole lot of faith in them. But they beat Houston Christian, you know, not a great team, beat them by a lot. San Diego State, yes, San Diego State was the runner up in the championship last year, but BYU played them at home, beat them by nine. And now San Diego State, yes, they're seven and one, their only losses to BYU, but they've been playing a lot of other teams close. Like just the other day, they played UC San Diego and beat them by one. They played um, Long Beach State, only one by twelve, at, and this was this game was at home. They played uh, Washington at home, only a three point game. They play California at home, and they had to win in overtime. So there's games that like yes, that's their good win, but then you look at some of the other ones, Arizona State. I mean, Arizona State's not normally known for basketball. I don't know how good they are this year, but I lied. They're five and two. I haven't really looked at a whole lot of their games. But, you know, they beat down on them. But then you play NC State. I think this was, uh, I believe, a Thanksgiving tournament or something or some, or a shootout. But they beat NC State by 10. And, I mean, I feel like you get a little bit of a home court advantage there, even though it's like technically sort of a neutral court. Uh, North Carolina State's traveling across the entire country. BYU is like a state over. You're going to get way more BYU fans there than you're going to get NC State fans. Especially whenever you, I mean, you got a little bit of momentum, I guess. But they play Fresno State and beat them at home. It's like they really haven't had to face a whole lot of tough games, in my opinion. Like the only game that BYU has not played as the home team was the Arizona State game, and that wasn't even at their home court. So like they haven't really faced, I think, a big challenge. Which now that I'm looking at their schedule, oh my goodness! Like, are they going to have a single home game like the rest of the year? I looking at it right now, they play through through the rest of December. They play. All but one home game. They play Utah at Utah. So how do you get through the first two months of games you haven't played a single road game? Like, that's one thing that's crazy to me. But I don't know. I think Evansville could come in and shock some people. I This is going to be a true test, I guess. But this is going to be very, 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 very interesting, in my opinion. I got to give some love to Arizona State back when they had Carrick Felix. I don't know if any of you guys remember him, but he was a dog. Name sounds familiar. Do you play for like the Cavs, maybe? Yeah. NBA? Okay. Drafted, I think, 33rd. Had a flat top. Yep. Okay. That's exactly what I'm thinking of. Yep. Used to be a big Kyrie guy, so I watched a lot of Cavs games back then. Now, Cole, you would like to talk about the NFL MVP race. You informed me, so the floor is yours. All right. So, for the most of the season, Jalen Hurts was the front runner for MVP after, or not most of the season, for the last like five weeks and previous to that was Mahomes. But now it is Brock Purdy, which blows my mind because I don't know what he's doing. I, I, didn't, I know what he's doing better than Dak, but what he's doing better than Dak does not surpass what Dak is doing better than him. Like, they, people say that um, Purdy leads in QBR and he leads in completion percentage. Well, he leads in completion percentage by 
0.1%, and he and Dak is second, and then in QBR, Purdy leads by 0.2, and Dak is also second. But then when you go to yards, Dak is fifth with 3,234, and Purdy's not too far behind him with 3,185. And then Dak has... 26 passing touchdowns, which leads the league, and Purdy is fourth with 23, and they both have six interceptions. But where I think Dak, like, takes a big advantage on him is, and hurts, I guess, when you look at their teams and their weapons, Dak is last in both of them. Like, who has the best O-line? The Eagles has the best out of those three, and then the Niners, and then the Cowboys. When you look at their defenses, the Niners have the best defense, and then the Eagles have the second best, and then it's the Cowboys. And then when you look at the weapons, the team with the best weapons is a toss-up between the Eagles and Niners, and then the Cowboys are third yet again. We like The roster around Dak is worse than around both of them, yet we have the same record as the Niners. And don't get me wrong, I know we are playing worse teams, but still, we just beat the Seahawks, and our defense looked terrible. The reason we won was purely because of Dak. I don't know where I've ever watched a Niners game and I'm like, hey, they just won that game purely because of Brock Purdy. Same thing with same thing with the Eagles. Most of the time, you're watching the Eagles game, you're saying, damn, they just won because of the refs, because it's fucking unreal how many calls they get. Lane Johnson false starts every fucking play. But and he lines up at swat, uh, slot receiver every play. Exactly. They, they, they're all lines you get penalized every single time. The Eagles should maybe be 7-5. But Dak is doing better than both QBs with much less, and yes, against lesser opponents. I already said that, but... I just don't get how you can sit here and put him under both Hertz and Purdy for MVP. But honestly, with no QB really just like blowing everyone out of the water for before you MVP. Before you can bring up Tyreek. I was gonna say yes. Before you bring up Tyreek, got a couple uh, stats here. So oh, I got stuff too. Since uh, week six against the Chargers, Dak has led the league in QBR at seventy nine point eight. The next closest since that game is Trevor Lawrence with sixty eight point two. Dak is beating him by. Over 11 QBR. Trevor Lawrence is closer to C.J. Stroud in 12th place than he is to Prescott in first. Um, Dak leads all quarterbacks in passing yards over that run. He's thrown for 22 touchdowns and only two interceptions, one of which was a drop by his wide receivers. And if you go to, um, let's see. Yes, so he's averaging 10 adjusted yards per attempt and 8.9 adjusted net yards per attempt, both of which topped the NFL over that stretch. Yes, I'm reading directly off of an ESPN article, but this is them making a case for why Dak could be uh, the MVP. So he's number one in a traditional metric passer, such as passer rating. He has 121.5, more than 10 points ahead of anybody else, and expected points added per dropback, 0.31, which is right where Matt Ryan was during his 2016 MVP. And then, uh, let's see. And then even, you know, little little love to my Jets. But Dak Prescott is the only person that's really looked good in a game against the Jets this year. Like, the Jets are playing some grueling games recently because the quarterback, like, our defense has been good and the quarterback situation hasn't been good. But, like, you look at some of the other games. Josh Allen didn't look good the first time he played the Jets. Um, Patrick Mahomes struggled when he played the Jets. And then... I mean, at the time, Russell Wilson, like the Broncos weren't what they were now, but Russell Wilson did play good. Dak Prescott kind of just blew up the Jets. And then also Jalen Hurts, I don't even, did he even throw a touchdown the game? He might have had one rushing touchdown. He threw a pick, I know for sure. And 
They he lost that game. He threw two picks. He lost that game, and they were missing their top three secondary players. Yeah, how do you how do you how are you called the best QB in that game going against the Jets or Jalen Hurts threw one touchdown, two hundred eighty yards, three interceptions. Yep. How do you go into a game known like as the so called best QB in the league against yes a top five defense missing their probably their best defensive player and then two other very good guys in their secondary and you still throw three picks that's just called like just kind of average QB play. I fully agree. Now, I'll, I'll let you make your Tyreek point I was just reading. And I got something first. So, I'm just going to play devil's advocate. I'm not going to lie. I don't disagree with you between the three quarterbacks, but here's where I'll play devil's advocate. So, we look at all of Dak's numbers. Let's look at the teams he's played. The Giants, poverty. The Jets, good game. Lost to the Cardinals, did not play well. The Patriots, poverty. Got blown out by the Niners. Chargers, poverty. Rams, meh. Eagles, lost. So now they've lost to the two teams that are supposedly like their equals. Uh, the Giants again, again, poverty. Panthers, poverty. Cow- Commanders, poverty. Seahawks, solid team. That was a big win. So really hasn't played any good defenses, and when he has, other than the Jets, they've lost. To account I mean, to he played the Eagles, who are a good defense. He threw three hundred seventy-four yards. He played better than Joe Hurts that game. But to counteract that, yes, we haven't played good teams. But going into this season, we had the tenth hardest schedule. We played the Giants twice, who made the playoffs at ten and seven. We played the Chargers. Yeah, but I don't want to get into that because but what are right. the Giants? It's not about the strength of st- schedule but coming that, into the season. It's about strength. But of you schedule can't blame when you us for having the a weak schedule this year when we scheduled this last year after they were just a good team. Well, I don't really care about the and, scheduling. And it's it was the teams you play. And it was first game of the year. You play the Giants. Everyone's like, okay, the Giants just. Made we were the actually. Last we year. there were actually them forty to nothing. There's actually a bunch of people saying that the Giants could win that game because the Giants were good. Yeah, but look at what the Giants are now. Like that's but, the thing. Yeah, like, but you, can, you could say that, but it's yeah, not the same Giants team. 2020, but looking at what it was last year, that's what you have to look at. We we were given the tenth hardest schedule, and now it's like you can't fault us for beating these teams that are underperforming. We'll get to that later. Like even like even the Patriots, they're eight. And, they were eight and nine last year. They have they had like the second best defense last year. Dax went out there and played good against them. Their offense is just falling off a cliff. Exactly. Now they're two and ten. But uh, like we beat these teams, and all these all Cowboys haters are saying, "Oh, you can't beat a team over five hundred. Sorry, it's our bad. We'll take the blame for the Giants being under five hundred and the Chargers being under five hundred again. Like we're beating the teams that w- we were scheduled, and when That's we did schedule other them, they're over five hundred. Advocate point is you got obliterated by the Niners, and you still did lose to the Eagles, and so that's the other thing is the that Eagles when you know what goes into the, the MVP stuff. MVP comes down to, yes, individual performance, but team success also matters. It's the same with the NBA. Team success matters, even when it always shouldn't. And so that's another thing when it just comes down to what the MVP award is. That's probably where Dak is losing the most credibility is because his team, which whether or not that's his fault, his team has not played well. I mean, they played decent against the Eagles, I guess, but... Overall, he lost the two games that were kind of the the big time matchup games. So when they play the Eagles again next week, mm-hmm. we will see if he outplays Hurts there. Maybe there's a big time flip there. Now I will say after what Purdy just did to the Eagles, that's not going to help his case at all because Purdy looked really really good in that game. I don't think Purdy's better than Dak or Hurts personally, but 
again, eye test and numbers and the win speaks for itself. And so that's, I think, where you're kind of getting into the biggest trouble with trying to get Dak as MVP is because team success does matter and losing to the two teams that are, like, really the only two legitimate. I mean, I guess you could say the Seahawks are legitimate, but as you look through the whole schedule, the only two – you haven't beaten any legitimate team other than the Seahawks. And Which, again, not your fault, yeah. and we'll get into that with FSU. Yeah. Not their fault that mm-hmm. their conference is trash, but it, it, does, it just matters when teams are voting on these sorts of things. That's just how it's always been, whether or not it's fair or not is whatever. And with that Cardinals game that you mentioned, Dak, yeah, he didn't play good that game. But also, that was also the entire offense. I, I watched that game. I don't think I saw a single time where there's even, like, somewhat of an open receiver. C.D. Lamb, like, top three receiver this year. Bro, like, dude cannot get any fucking separation that game. He was locked down by some of the worst corners I've ever seen in the game. Uh, Brandon Cooks couldn't get open. Michael Gallup couldn't get open. Jalen Tolbert couldn't get open. Our run game is terrible because Tony Pollard isn't, like, a big running back. He can't establish holes. Tony Pollard ran for 122 yards that game. Okay, maybe I was wrong. <laughs> Whatever. We, I guess we had the run game established, then, and we just – kept going away for it because we were losing because our defense is underperforming sometimes. And I know Dak threw a pick that game. I'm not even going to fault him for that pick. It was third and, like, ten, third and goal. And, yeah, we saw it fourth down, but we weren't getting any, any separation. Brandon Cooks was open, the most open he's ever been in that game on that play. And Dak threw it. He probably could have thrown a little higher, which he needed to do. But he was trying to force it because no one else is getting open, and he threw a pick. And everyone's going to look and say, hey, or, hey, Dak threw a pick there. He's not good, which in reality, that's not his fault. He just has receivers that couldn't get open, and that was, like, his only chance of getting a touchdown. So, And then you mentioned that um, the Cowboys and Eagles game. That game was – I am standing – I'm taking this to the grave. That game was only won purely because the refs called four penalties in one drive that gave the Eagles a touchdown, and one of the penalties was the most bullshit, like – P.I. I've ever seen on Stephon Gilmore. That was more O.P.I. than D.P.I., but that's whatever. And then you said that it'll come down to certain things when voting for the QB or voting for MVP. And you said team success matters, and that's right. But also in this situation, the uniform and the logo that is on Dak Prescott, that Dak that Dak that Dak Prescott wears, will also affect him in the voting because everyone is anti-Cowboys in everything. I mean, I would agree. I think the Cowboys catch a lot of flack, but I don't. I feel like once you get to MVP voting, like the general media, like people that tweet on social media, you like you'll talk to, might be like, "No, Dak's not the MVP." Or you see the talk show host, but the people that actually come down with the votes, I don't think they're going to hold that against Dak just because he plays for the Cowboys. I mean, also, I, like at what point? And again, this is broad scale. We don't need to get into this today. At what point do they have a right to constantly shit on the Cowboys? Because every year they get all of this hype, and they do have a phenomenal team. Every For the past like five years, they've had a very, very good team with zero playoff success. So that's the other thing. I feel like this year is almost like the last straw for this core team because if they don't do anything in this playoffs, at what point should you just not blame what you have and say, well, why are we not elevating? Something needs to change. I mean, we do get a lot of hype, but I don't know if any of that is actually from – actual Cowboy fans. Every All of that hype is coming from people that hate on the Cowboys and then make fun of the Cowboys fans for saying it's our year. No Cowboys fan I've ever met in my life, and I've met plenty because most of my family is one, and I have a lot of friends that are, but I've never once said, this is our year. Every single time I ask them, they say, yeah, we'll probably make the playoffs, but we'll probably lose 
first or second round, depending on who we play. I've never met anyone saying we'll go to the NFC Championship, no one going to the Super Bowl. And every year, we're like me and that group of people that say that are correct. And yeah, that, yeah. Do you think you should have beat the Niners last year? No. We we were the we were worse than them. They were a better construct, better a well constructed team. They have the best defense. They have like the best offense too. We weren't going to beat them. That is one thing I will say though. It's like the Cowboys catch a lot of flack because they don't have success in the postseason. But like to be fair, over the last fifteen years, like how many teams have come out there and been like aside from maybe like one or two postseason appearances? It's like it's since like two thousand. I feel like it's been the Chiefs the Eagles and the Patriots. It's like who else hasn't gone out there and just shit the bed in the playoffs. And going off that, most like the Cowboys are doing that like getting all that hype from all these other people and we're underperforming. But the Bills are the same thing. The Bills of the last four years have had the highest Super Bowl odds coming into the season and even like halfway through the season every single year and every single year they lose first or second round in the playoffs. And no one says a single thing about them. But because we're the Cowboys, we get all that hate. It's because we have the highest fan, like the biggest fan base in the league. Like 50% of America are Cowboys fans. The other 50%, their least favorite team is the Cowboys. Even if you're a Jaguars fan, your least favorite team is the Cowboys. If you are a Texans fan, your least favorite team is the Cowboys. If you're a Seahawks fan, your least favorite team is the Cowboys. So, like, we have half of America with us and half of us against us. Um, One thing I will say also is, like, I love Aaron Rodgers now that, like, I mean, I loved him before, but now he's a, he's a Jet, so he's my quarterback. But one thing that I feel like has never really been like talked about is that the Packers won one Super Bowl 11 years ago. And ever since then, the Packers slash Aaron Rodgers choke in the playoffs. And it seems like a ton of people hate Aaron Rodgers, and no one says a word about it. The Cowboys lose a game to a team that went on to win the Super Bowl or made the Super Bowl, and everyone's like, oh, Cowboys suck. Cowboys blow it again, and it's like, what are they supposed to do? Going off that, I do see a lot of people get – I do see Aaron Rodgers get a lot of hate for that because it's like a Niners curse because every single year he loses in the playoffs. It is it is the Niners, but the Packers get no hate, and I don't know why they don't. I, I guess they're just like a nationally loved team, but they don't get any hate for also underperforming because Aaron Rodgers, yes, he didn't play that well that game, but they're in their last couple – uh, playoff losses to the Niners, but neither did their defense. They neither did their special teams. Their special teams is like they have a good offense and a good defense, and they're still losing because of their special teams can't make a, like can't put their defense in a good position, can't make easy field goals, and then they lose to the Niners on a field goal. I think that's where the Cowboys' problem comes in. No one's gonna hate on Rodgers. One because he did get the one Super Bowl. Two because let's be real, most of those Packer teams had below average defenses, and they were only there because their offense was really really good. And then everybody always shits on the Cowboys because they always have a very good defense, pretty solid special teams, and then they're expected to do really good whenever they do happen to have good offenses. And then they just either underperform or just aren't as good as the other team and every, or aren't as good as everybody's projected them to be, and that's just the way it is. And then they just get shit on because their offense basically let them down again. And I wouldn't really say underperforming. I'd say mainly play calling. We had Jason Garrett in, as our head coach from like 2010 or probably earlier till. I think he got fired after 2019. Jason Garrett was the worst head coach I think I've ever seen. That dude did nothing but chew gum and clap and like clap. That's all he did. He provided nothing to the team, and he was dog shit. Now that we have Mike McCarthy, who I can't really say he's much better, but 
we're, I guess, finally doing something. And we like last year, the Buccaneers were still a solid team. We can't lie. Yeah, they they were they regressed a little bit from their Super Bowl year, but the next year they were still a solid team, and we dismantled them. But we get to the Niners, and I feel like we just get like a little nervous, a little anxious, and we just like become very conservative in our play calling, and we just don't air it out like we do in the regular season or against or like we did against the Buccaneers. And we go against the Niners, and we just don't play well because our coaching and our play calling is just not good. I was going to say, let's not forget Kellen Moore in this conversation Kellen here. Moore's terrible. Kellen Moore, the first 14 weeks of the season, our offense looks easily is easily the best offense in the league when, when you had Kellen Moore. And these last three weeks or four weeks when we switched to the 18-week season, those last three to four weeks, we look terrible because our play calling just randomly just – flips a switch, and then we get to the playoffs and our play calling gets even worse. Or it gets so predictable. He just runs like the same sets. He's like, oh, yes. it's been working all season, and exactly. the people just. Exactly. And he was a terrible offensive mind. And I, and now that we have Mike McCarthy calling our plays, the first four weeks of the season, his play calling was unbelievably atrocious. That was some of the worst play calling I've ever seen. We get to the red zone, it's four runs. We don't pass the ball at all. Now that we're passing in the red zone, we are scoring a lot more points offensively. Dak looks so much better. Our, we're winning games against bad teams, like we said earlier. But now that we have that, and, like, Mike McCarthy, when he was play calling for the uh, Packers, we saw Aaron Rodgers win two MVPs and a Super Bowl. Now that Mike McCarthy is calling good plays, calling, like, plays that won't be easily predictable like Kellen Moore did, there's genuinely a chance, like, hey, we could go to the playoffs, we can make a little bit of noise, especially against the Eagles, maybe, maybe the Niners, if we can, like, not be anxious and be conservative in that game. And we could potentially go further than the divisional round or NFC championship if we even get to that point. Let's hear Tyreek take. So this year, obviously, no no QB is like just blowing other QBs out of the water because we know it's historically a QB award. And I did make my argument for Dak winning it earlier, but that's purely because it's a QB currently with the highest odds. And that QB's not Dak, so that confuses me. But I seriously think it should be Tyreek Hill because this dude might go for 2,000 yards, which has never been done before, which it's kind of controversial because it's it's not in a 16-game format. It's in 17, so it's a little easier. But if he still goes for 2,000 yards, which has never been done, he goes for probably 140 catches, I would assume, and still like 17 touchdowns. I don't know a way that you don't give him the MVP because I, I've heard a lot of people say Chris McCaffrey – and he, has, and he is leading the league in rushing, and he has a lot of touchdowns. But also, we have seen that Niners team without Christian McCaffrey still go to the Super Bowl and still be better than what they are now with the same defense, the same offensive pieces, minus Christian McCaffrey. So I don't really think that's – I don't really know the case you can make for – I know you the case, but I don't think it's as good as Tyreek's, where Tyreek is the best best receiver in the league this year. He is making that like Dolphins offense unbelievably like untouchable. Almost you you won't be able to keep up with him. Tyreek kind of just runs whatever he wants and he's scoring. Like I don't like, I think Tyreek's got to win MVP if he hits two thousand yards. I think one thing that is kind of like a knock against wide receivers. It's like you're just kind of screwed. Is like running backs. You are like you're running routes out of the backfield and you're getting handoffs. A wide receiver is almost gonna, is never going to get handoffs. Uh, maybe one to two, you know, a season if you get a jet sweep here and there. But you you know, you're just a completely one-dimensional player whereas a running back gets more opportunities. 
So if, even if you just look at pure yards, Tyreek Hill's receiving yards this season, ha- he has more yards than McCaffrey has all-purpose yards, rushing and receiving. And the fact that he has 1,400 right now through 12 games and 12 touchdowns, he's averaging a touchdown a game. Basically 1,500 yards. Yeah, exactly. He's averaging 15.9 yards per catch, which is unreal. They, I saw a stat uh, also in that ESPN article that I was reading earlier about Dak, but they were talking about some like the most yards per route run, and Dak was, or I'm sorry, Tyreek was just so otherworldly. Like his stats were just unreal. Like it was compared to Jerry Rice whenever he caught 22 touchdowns that year. It's um, let's take a look. Hill is averaging 4.45 yards per route run. Like, that is unreal. The other the other mark that was, or the number one mark since the past 17 years, which is when they start tracking that data, was Steve Smith with 3.88, and Tyreek Hill is 4.45 right now. Like, those are literally video game numbers. Like, every time that he just runs a route, he's getting four four and a half yards. Yeah, that's, I, that's insane. I just did the math. He is on pace for 132 catches this year, which is a little lower than I said, but still 132. I, besides Keenan Allen, I would I think that would be the second highest in the league, plus the 2,000 yards. And then set, if he's a touchdown a game, obviously he'll end with 17 touchdowns. Like, I understand it's a QB award, but when you have a player doing what he's doing, I don't get how you can look at that and say, no, not MVP, especially with the Q, like the candidates this year. Because – I don't think there's any QB standing like on like head and shoulders above everyone else. Yes, I think Dak is better than everyone else, but it's not like a just un like undeniable he wins the MVP this year. I think it should be Tyreek. Let me hear a wild comparison. Yes. I know the timing is different in terms of the years. McCaffrey on the Niners is KD on the Warriors. Tyreek on the Dolphins is uh James Harden going to the Rockets. I completely agree. It took a couple of years for Harden to turn that Rockets team into what it was and for him to make that massive jump, but... I I think for right now that's a fantastic comparison, but if the Dolphins could actually like win a, cha- win a championship, which I think they are, I are think very well in contention to do, so I think they could definitely do that, then I think it kind of, not like discredits it, but it's like obviously looking in hindsight, the Rockets are never able to win one, but like I think it's also very real that the Dolphins are not a team. Like They're a team that's built to score a lot of yards and score a lot of points, but then potentially you have one game where you face a defense that runs a good, you know, has good sets against them on defense, or the other team is above average offense as well, and then kind of beats up their defense, which is their weaker link of the team, then you could see an upset. But I don't know. I, I think if a wide receiver were to ever win an MVP, it had to be this year because – Tyreek is currently he's averaging a touchdown a game, which I mean he's not going to break the record for touchdowns in a season, which is Jerry Rice with twenty two, right? Randy Moss with I think twenty three. Okay, yeah, that's right. Moss beat it with twenty three. Which also side note, the fact that Jerry Rice had twenty two touchdowns in that season that was a strike shortened season. They didn't even play a full schedule. He had twenty two. I believe touchdowns. in twelve games. Yeah, that's un that's unfathomable. Mm-hmm. But if a wide receiver were ever to do it, it had to be this year. Because I don't know how many people are going to just go out and break the touchdown record. But the fact that Tyreek couldn't put up 2,000 yards while also putting up almost 20 touchdowns with 130 catches. And it'd be one thing if you had like a, a quarterback blowing it away. Like you have Aaron Rodgers MVP seasons or you have Pat Mahomes MVP seasons. Like if they were doing that this year, they'd be like, okay, yeah, they're the MVP. Mm-hmm. But like the fact that we have no clear-cut candidate, I think that if Tyreek hits 2,000 this year and it kind of stays the same where it's like, you know, Dak's doing what he's doing, and his team loses to good teams, but 
beats the bad teams. And then Jalen Hurts, like, you know, he gets he has a lot of rushing touchdowns, but there are literally all one yards in all the tush push. And then you have Brock Purdy, but it's like he has, like Cole said, the Avengers and a really good defense, they're, so they're not losing. If the Dolphins have one of the top records in the league and there's no clear-cut person, I think it has to be Tyreek. Because then you're kind of setting the precedent that if Tyreek doesn't win it this year, a wide receiver will never win it. Yeah. Only problem, the one issue I could see happening with Tyreek going for that, all those yards and touchdowns, is that people now look at Tua because that's his QB and say, oh, he got he got Tyreek all those yards. He threw for those 2,000 yards, plus whatever he threw to everyone else, plus those 17 touchdowns to Tyreek, plus all the other touchdowns that he's thrown to all these other receivers. I could see people thinking like, oh, yeah, he did great. Now let's look at the QB that helped all of that happen, which I don't know because I know Tua's gotten a lot of hate and a lot of backlash. But I could see there being a thing where like, oh, Tyreek did all that, but since Tua's his QB, we'll give it to him because he helped Tyreek get all those yards and touchdowns. I think the exact opposite because I think the people making the decision are going to look at the yak. The yards after catch he has is just freaking ridiculous and how open he gets by just dusting people time and time again. Like, they just know football well enough to not do that. And I think also the Dolphins not being, like, top of the AFC. If the Dolphins were the one or two seed, then it would all be about Tua because Tua's elevated them and become this super great offense and made them into this amazing team. Because they're slightly below kind of that top of the pack, I feel like that gives them a better chance because you can't say, well, two is carrying the team in all these wins. It's like, because they're not, because they're not winning. Actually, right now, the Dolphins are the one. In the whole AFC? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay, well, never mind. Yeah, which, which I didn't think so. Really? Yeah. yeah. But I... Uh, discredit everything I just said. But I I do agree that Tua shouldn't even be considered, honestly, but I could see some people just, since it's just naturally QB award, some people wanting to get Tua his flowers for that, which I don't think he should because it's mainly all Tyreek and all of these plays. Like, there's just a play a couple – like, this past week, Tyreek was easily burning someone. Two threw that ball 25 yards. Tyreek gr- took it and took it the other 40. Like, that wasn't – that play was almost ruined because of Tua. The AFC sucks. All I'm saying is uh, also, like, normally I would – I would normally agree that – if Tyreek had a 2,000 yards receiving, you'd be like, okay, well, the quarterback had to throw him the ball. Like, I, I agree that it's typically a quarterback award. But like I said, I think that if you don't give it to Tyreek this year in a down year from quarterbacks, you set the precedent that a wide receiver no never will win it. And to make, to your point, Cole, with Tua, like, who else on their team is really doing that? Like, Jalen Waddle's having a down year compared to last year in terms of, like, yards per catch and yards per game. And he saw he saw 700 receiving yards. But you look at their next leading receiver, that's Braxton Barrios. Probably with, like, what, 150? 194. Like, they have Jalen Waddle, like I said, who's having a down year, and Tyreek Hill. Like, they have no other receiving weapons. Like, Tyreek Hill is putting up an unreal amount of offense right now for being one of two threats on his team. Going off your point, though, with – that is that I know right now it's not, but I feel like at the end when he does, because Tua, Tua's currently at probably 23, 2,300 yards probably. So by the end, he'll end with about 3,900, 4,000. So it's still, they're going to be like, oh, look at how many yards he threw. 4,000 still a very good threshold, plus f- like 31 touchdowns. So, I mean, I could... I'll, I could see people trying to make the argument for him, which I don't think they can I can or should. And I don't think Tua can or should be an MVP. But, yeah. And you said that the Dolphins could easily make some noise in the AFC. They, like the Cowboys, besides the Niners, against the 
above 500 team that we've played in the Eagles, we actually put up a good fight. The Dolphins didn't. Against every 500 team the Dolphins have played, they look kind of piss poor. Like, they look just defeated, and they get demolished by at least two scores in every in every single game above 500 opponents. The Cowboys have beat a 500 opponent in the Seahawks, and that came with Deron Bland playing the worst game I've ever seen out of a cornerback. And then against the Eagles, where we lost by five, where we probably should have won that game because we – kind of the game was kind of taken out of our hands because of the Eagles 12 player. I don't th- I don't think the Dolphins will really be able to do much in the AFC, especially cuz once you once they get there, I think the Ravens have they've naturally just been under like underperformers in the playoffs, especially with in the Lamar era. I don't think that I still don't think the Ravens would lose to the Dolphins and I know in the playoffs Mahomes becomes the greatest of all time. I don't think he'd lose. To the Dolphins, either. Who is the best team in the AFC? I'm looking at this. The it's Ravens. pathetic. I would say the Ravens. The Chiefs, say if their too, wide receivers could the Colts, catch a football. I watched the Colts beat the Ravens, and yeah, the Chiefs have too many problems. Jacksonville might be in trouble because Lawrence just got hurt. Mm-hmm. Pittsburgh is not good at 7-5. and five. Cleveland, not good at 7-5. and five. The Colts, not good at 7-5. and five. Houston, not good at 7-5. and five. Denver, on the rise, but come on. No trust there since he's out. The Buffalo is six solid. and six, but like what? Yeah, I think whoever in the NFC goes to the Super Bowl, unless the Chiefs pick it up and like I said, Mahomes and Kelsey just become the greatest duo of all time in the playoffs. If that doesn't happen and it's another team besides the Chiefs, I don't see a, a single way where the NFC champ, the NFC champion, doesn't win the Super Bowl. Agreed. I think trade it, deadlines passed, right? Yes. Yeah. What the Chiefs do? Nothing. Nothing. Why? I don't think so. Clearly, their team sucks. Like, they have no targets. I don't know what's happening with Kelsey this year, but he – I don't know why, but in years he past, he's just been – Taylor. Probably. But he, in the past years, he just has been able to always find – he just knows football really well as a tight end. He's been able to find those open positions in the defense, get there, get open, make moves, and do all that. But this year, we haven't seen that. This dude's consistently going for, like, three and 30 yards, two and 25 yards. And I know that because he's on my fantasy team. And I don't know if that's a problem. I don't watch Chiefs games. I watch Cowboys games. but I, And I don't know if that's like a problem on Mahomes for trying to do too much sometimes or if that's just Kelsey not being able to get open or if it's finally the, the other team being like, holy cow, the pass catchers besides Kelsey on this team are absolute dog shit. Let's focus on only Kelsey and a game plan for him and like double him or do something and then make can like force Casey's receivers to have to catch a ball, which we've seen they can't do that. I think it's a mix between they're forcing Kansas City's other receivers to actually catch a football and the fact that Travis Kelsey is 34 years old. I mean, normally as a tight end, like how many times are you going to see a tight end that's like over 30 going to be like, oh, he is elite. Like he's going to be absolutely insane. I feel like Travis Kelsey is more of an outlier than he is the standard in that regard. So the fact that he was 33 and last year and 32 the year before that, and he keeps putting up these insane statistical seasons is just kind of, absurd anomalies that we were kind of taking for granted. So now the fact is kind of not like back to the norm, but kind of regressed a little bit from that. It kind of makes sense. It was like, okay, he's a 34 year old tight end. We probably should have seen this four years ago, but he's just one of the greatest to ever do it. So that's why it's kind of taken a little bit longer. He's hitting his Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald's still a very, very good player, but like after they won the Super Bowl, not the same player in any way. But going in, I know earlier you said something about Jalen Hurts with his tush push. I know that's a very, like a very good argument some people use for Jalen Hurts as still the MVP frontrunner because like his total touchdowns 
is I think equivalent to Dak, Dak's like passing touchdowns because he has a bunch of rushing touchdowns. He probably has like eleven or twelve, but at least eight of them are the tush push from a like a yard out or less. And I've seen and I've heard many people say that's that play works because of Joan Hurts. No, it doesn't. We saw in that game Marcus Mariota, Marcus Mariota this past game did that play. And it worked. So clearly it's not because of Jalen Hurts. Like, yes, he gets a little bit more of a push because Jalen Hurts squats 600 pounds. But that doesn't mean that play only works because of Jalen Hurts. That work, that play works because of the best O-line in the league. And one of them used to play rugby. And that formation that they do when they get low, that's what they do in rugby. Jordan Mailata knows how to do that. So Jordan Mailata at left guard and Jason Kelsey, who's the best there in the league, use that. And Jalen Hurts, you know where he goes? He goes right behind those two because those two know exactly how to do that. And it's guaranteed yards every time. It's not because of Jalen Hurts. It's purely because of that play. Or because of that formation and the team that he has around him. To stay on the uh, football note, unless anyone has any final MVP thoughts. Cam Newton. I So far, I echo Cole's sentiment. I think Dak should be the front runner for the MVP. I mean, odds and front runners through week 13 or whatever we're at right now are kind of irrelevant. But I think that if voters are making up their minds now, then, you know, I think it should be Dak. But that's regard, uh, regardless, but or irrelevant. But moving to the college football playoffs, those rankings just came out Sunday. The selection Sunday committee happened. And boy, was I disappointed. All I got to say is I, I walked in from church. I uh, was in the lobby of my house, of our fraternity home. And saw everyone watching on the couch, and I first thing I saw, like I just walked in, FSU left out of the playoffs, and that just baffled me. I don't, I don't understand it. I just don't get it. Because what's the point of playing all the games if you're going to take a team that was 13 and 0 in a Power Five conference that just won their net or won their conference championship against another top 15 team with their third string freshman quarterback? How do you not put them in? Because it's like, what's the point of even playing? It's like if you're – because then it sets the precedent of all the other teams. It's like, oh, if you're in the SEC, like, good luck. Because they're just going to keep putting SEC teams in. Like Texas, yeah, they're a big 12 team right now, but they're going to be an SEC team. They put Alabama in. And FSU is in a weak ACC team this year where it's kind of like a roundabout. We have some good teams, but it's like no one's really like that upper echelon. You kind of have like UNC loses to Louisville, and then Louisville loses to someone else. So it's just kind of like instead of keeping teams at – you know, like you have four or five top 10 teams, you have a top 20 and then a 25th and then a Florida State. But people are like, oh, Florida State didn't play anyone. They played uh, LSU, number five team in the nation to start off the season, who was a good squad this year. Beat them by 21 points. They're probably going to have the Heisman on their team, and they beat them by three touchdowns. Then they played Duke, who at the time was ranked 16th, played them at Florida State, beat them by 18, beat them by multiple touchdowns again. Then they played Florida, and, I mean, Florida was, like, not anything, I mean, like, not insane, but it's, like, that's a rivalry game. I feel like you got to put something into that. Played at Florida. Florida State wins by multiple point, or multiple scores, and that's with their backup quarterback. Then they come in, play Louisville, who is number 14 in the nation, in the ACC championship, won by 10, never trailed with a freshman quarterback who threw for 50 yards. Like, their defense has been on a mission. And they're going to have Tate Roadmaker back. Like, they're acting like it went from Jordan Travis to a cashier at Walmart. Like, they still had their backup who looked good in the other games. Like, I just – I don't get it. 
you can't tell me that Jordan Travis, who missed two games, three games, and now all of a sudden FSU is just suddenly undeserving. You made that point about Duke, but people look at like as the season goes on, like how good of that, how good of a win that was. Duke ended the season at seven five. You look back now, that wasn't that good of a win. You're not ma- you just made the opposite argument with the Cowboys statement thing. No, but I'm saying in college, like in college, people. So it do doesn't that. matter in the NFL. I don't know if people do it. Wait, what do you? What do you mean? When I say like the Giants' win was a terrible win because the Giants are poverty. No, this I'm season. saying based off. Oh, but at the beginning of the season, they were supposed to be good, so it matters. But yeah, because in the so NFL, that's really what matter. it is. In col- I'm saying in college, it's, it's stupid as shit because I hate college. I honestly, I'm starting to not watch college sports as I get older because I think it's just dumb. But in the way they look at it, the way they look at it in college is that like they took your win when you it happens, and then as the season goes on, they see like how good of a win that is more and more. And with that Duke win, it's now at the end of the season they look at it and say that's not good. Of a, that's not that good of a win because Duke is seven and five. So they look as oh yeah, Duke's just not a good team anymore. So they like make that game the FSU beat them just a little less valuable. Not even a little less, like a lot less valuable. So I'm split on the whole argument. I definitely see both sides. As a fan, I wish FSU got in. If I was on the college football committee, I would put Alabama in. And it's because I listened to Kirk Herbstreet explain, like, the actual, like, they have a set list of criteria of the teams that they're supposed to put in. It isn't merit-based. It's based on do they set these criteria, which I think is stupid. I think there should be a merit-based part of it as well. But the last criteria that's on there is are there any happenings to the team, whether that be coaches or players that are going to be absent from the team for the playoff, that will impact their performance. And I I understand, and I completely understand, and again, as a fan, I wish they were in. I completely understand that an undefeated team in a Power 5 conference should be in there, especially with only, like, obviously they played the last game with their third string and still won but they're going to get their second string back, which should be an improvement. So now they're just off of one quarterback. But I also get that this is not the same Florida State team that went 13-0. Granted, every team changes as the year goes on. If we would have made the college football playoff in week, like, six, Bama would not be in it because they didn't look any good. Obviously, they got on a hot streak, kicked up. Milrow looks really good, and Bama's a different team. At the end of the day, they're supposed to put the four best teams. I don't think they did that. Because I don't think Washington should be in there over Georgia. I think Georgia is better than Washington. I I think, and obviously, so for me, I think head-to-head matchups also matter. I think Texas has to be above Bama, no matter how you rank it. And I think Georgia has to be under Alabama. So then it has to be Texas, Alabama, Georgia, no matter how you slice it. But those three teams and Michigan, I feel like, are the three that should be in. Because I truly think those are the four best teams. But obviously, playing the games does matter to an extent. And that's why Georgia's not in there because at the end of the day, Michigan had to be in because of their season. You had to put Washington in whether or not you think they're one of the four best teams. You have to put them in. And then it came down to Texas, Georgia, Bama, and FSU. Well, you can't put Georgia in without putting in Alabama. You can't put Alabama in without putting Texas. So they put Texas in. Then it was a three ta- three-way. It was really only a two-way tie with the last two. It was either FSU or Bama. And at the end of the day, I, I think – Bama is a better team than FSU with their backup quarterback. I think Bama is a better team than FSU with their starting quarterback. But if they had their starting quarterback, they couldn't make that knock on that last criteria to where they are at missing an absent person who happens to be an extremely valuable player. Obviously, there's still 32 other guys that get playing time. Obviously, it's more. 
but you have 11 on the special teams, 11 on the defense, and 10 more on the offense that are all coming in, game in, game out, playing that way, and playing on a 13-0 team. But at the end of the day, let's be real, quarterback's the most important position at the field at all times, and they lost their number one dude. And so they aren't technically the same team, and so that's where I also think that the committee made the right decision based off the rules they were given. And I'm sure there were guys on that committee that didn't want to put Bama in, but they had to follow the committee or the criteria that they were given. And I think they did that as the criteria is written. Granted, should the criteria be changed? Obviously, I think it's stupid. I wish they would have gone to an eight-team playoff this year before jumping to the 12 next year, but they didn't do that either. Um, But overall, that's just how it is. And then the other caveat is that FSU is not reminding me of that Ohio State team that won the first college football playoff with Cardell Jones because that Ohio State team obliterated the Big Ten championship team with their backup. FSU only won by 10. So, like, I think if FSU would have absolutely annihilated Louisville, there really wouldn't have been any argument because they look that dominant even without their starting quarterback. But the fact that they were just a better team than Louisville wasn't enough to push them over Bama, who just beat the team that hadn't lost a game in three years. I completely agree with, like, everything you just said, except for the part where you couldn't – like, you said you can't put Georgia in without Bama and then Bama out with Texas. I think – Georgia should have replaced Texas, and that would have been, like, what should have happened for the criteria. Because I know Tech, like, so you want to put Georgia in, but then since they lost to Bama, Bama has to go in. But since Bama lost to Texas, but with Texas, they beat Bama in a game where Bama was starting out the season not very, like, they started out very slow, like you mentioned, and then finally hit that hot streak later in the season. But they, they did beat, or Texas did beat Bama in Tuscaloosa. And it was by 10, which is closer than what some people will make it sound like. But I like with Alabama starting slow enough in that season, I don't think that, like, with the way college is, I don't think that win is as credited as it should be, or is too credited for what it should be. And yes, Bama did just beat Georgia, but that's why I think Georgia and Bama should be the two in. Because Georgia's, like you said, they've lost, they've won their last, like, 30 games and then lose one to a team that's, like, this, I think rank six at the time or rank seven or something. So I, I don't know how you can drop them from one all the way to six and completely out. I think they should have been dropped one and at the absolute very least four and then put Bama in at the three if Georgia's four and then the four if Georgia was three. But can you imagine the hate if they didn't put Texas in or Florida State in? Because there's already all this hate about not putting in Florida State, but if you put Georgia in and you didn't put Texas in and you put Bama in, after And head-to-head is literally one of the criteria. Head-to-head matchups matter. And, again, that's the whole thing going back to Troy's point. At what point do they literally say, yeah, the first three weeks of the season, the first five weeks of the season literally do not matter. As long as you only have one or no losses, it doesn't matter who you beat at the beginning. It, that's just the way to – and that, like, to the same extent, if you put Georgia in over Texas, that would have actually probably made it better because then FSU's only big-time, really big-time win against LSU also would not have mattered, just like Texas's win over Alabama. So I agree with you on that state, that if you would have put Georgia and Bama in, discrediting both Texas and Florida State's wins at the beginning of the season, then they would have at least been consistent, but... At what point are we completely saying, yeah, first five weeks of the season, it does not matter how you play because that's just the way it is. I think with the head-to-head matchups, they need to start. I understand, like, a lot of teams – most of the team – I think every team, obviously, or most 
holy cow. Like, all games are inter-conference games. I think eventually they need to start going out of conference and start playing these games. So, in these situations, like, everyone's comparing FSU to, like, Georgia and Bama and Texas. And Texas, Bama, and Georgia are playing in the two best conferences for football. And, honestly, I would easily say FSU is playing in the worst. I would say ACC is easily the worst in football. And, yes, they went 13-0, but against a bunch of teams in the ACC that aren't very good. While Georgia and Bama are, like, going in each, like, it's a dogfight week in and week out, and they're still on top 13-0 or 12-1. And I would easily say that 12-1 that Georgia and Bama are putting up in Texas are, like, levels ahead of FSU's 12-0 or 13-0. I think if you look at Alabama's schedule, they lost to Texas. They looked absolutely terrible against South Florida, Only that barely beat South Florida. They lost to, or not lost to, they um, beat Arkansas by three, two and five Arkansas by three at home, needed an absolute miracle to pull off a win against Auburn. They had to convert on like fourth and 31 for a touchdown to win, and then they beat Georgia by three. So yes, obviously it's like a good win beating Georgia, but the whole point is you've got teams that have had, that has looked suspect kind of all season. It'd be one thing if it was just like the first few weeks of the season, but then they just, like I said, they needed that. Uh, miracle against Auburn. They beat Georgia. And then it's like FSU has not lost a game. And Evan, you brought up the point where you think they need to put, or that you think if they're putting the best teams in Washington wouldn't be in it. I agree. And I feel like the committee members agree as well, like to an extent, but if they're putting in the best teams, why is Washington in? But then they'll be like, Oh, who's the most deserving? Why is Florida state out? If you hold the sec in such high regard evidence based off their selections this year and in the past, you would put them in because you think they're the best teams. But the fact that FSU never lost a game, they never proved to you that they were not deserving or that they were not one of the best teams in the nation because they did not lose to good teams in a Power 5 conference. How are you going to leave them out as the only Power 5 undefeated champ of all time? And that's my other thing, too. Like, this isn't the UCF season. Like, Florida State has beaten legit squads and played in a Power 5 conference. And that's the other thing. If you want to call ACC a Power 5 conference, it doesn't matter if they're bad or it's a down year. It's still a Power 5 conference. You could lose any week, and they didn't lose any week. So I completely agree, and that's where the fan part of me, too, is like, this is ridiculous. Also, why we should have had a 12-team playoff from the beginning, because only picking four teams, especially when there are five conferences, you, you should just automatically pick the best one from all of them. Whether or not you say that's the best team or the conference championship team, you can put that up for debate. And I think basketball does a right where if you win the bas- or the conference championship, you're automatically in because it doesn't matter what you did during the season. At the end of the season, you got hot, you proved you were ready to go, and you get to go into the tournament. The other argument that I think they might have possibly been in the back of their head is they didn't want like a TCU blowout to Georgia. That should be completely discredited because TCU beat Michigan. So that's where I'm also like, if you think Florida State's not going to be able to hold up their weight, Florida State, as a four seed, would have played Michigan. Michigan lost last year to who was the, I don't even know what word to use, the maybe team, I don't know, the bad team that shouldn't have been in whatever reason. And so that's where I think a lot of those also arguments are kind of not valid. But again, all of that is just what I think should have happened, but not what needed to happen based off of their rules and that's just that just goes down to the college football playoff making the wrong rules for who gets into this thing and so I hope Florida State wins their bowl game I hope they go 14 to 0 and say honestly we're probably the best team in the nation because we didn't lose to anybody 
and you guys just didn't give us a chance to run it in the big one. Um, did you Troy earlier? Did you say Florida State's the first undefeated Power Five champion to never make the college football playoffs? Oh, it's an, okay. Okay. Never mind. Yeah. So, and one thing I want to say is people were talking about oh they won in a weak SEC or ACC this year. If you look at the teams that were ranked, Florida State undefeated. Louisville ended the year fifteen. North Carolina State ended the year eighteen. Clemson was finished the year ranked twenty-two. UNC was ranked most of the year. Duke was ranked most of the year. Miami was ranked most of the year. FSU didn't play in a weak conference. They just didn't play teams when they were ranked or at the right time for it to be considered a good win. Who was the second best team in the Big Twelve this year? Do you know? Obviously, Texas was the best. Probably Oklahoma. Really? Yeah. So Oklahoma sucked. Oklahoma was actually. They had some bad losses. Uh, Oklahoma finished twelfth. They were ten and two. Oklahoma State was second in the Big 12 Conference. They finished 20th. They were 9-4. and four. Kansas State finished ranked 25th. They were 8-4. and four. So that's where I would say, like, think of next year. So obviously we're going to move into the 12-team playoffs, so this won't be relevant. But let's think this happened this year, and Texas and Oklahoma had moved to the SEC this year. I'm assuming Oklahoma State would have ran through that conference, maybe been a one or no loss team. Would they have gotten in? Yes, they would have. It's purely because the – committee just doesn't think the ACC is worth it, or it comes down to they literally just think without their quarterback they aren't a good team, which if that's really what they think, I can't really fault them because they probably know a lot more football than I do, and at the end of the day, I don't know anything enough. I don't know enough about this backup to make a decision. And But here's the biggest thing. All these people are bitching and moaning about this, but if they go into this bowl game with their backup quarterback and they lose, and especially if they get like beat down on like I almost hope they play Georgia. In their bowl game. They do. Do they really? Okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if they get annihilated by Georgia, it shuts everybody up. Like, you can't even make a – you can't make a case for them anymore. Like, that that's my only thing. Like, so, like, when UCF was having the problem, obviously they're not Power 5. But UCF, like, they also won their bowl game. They truly went undefeated and didn't get the invite. So, they're like, you'll never know. Like, we got snubbed. Florida State can say that right now. But if they get obliterated by Georgia, the committee clearly makes the right decision. Now, if they beat Georgia, the committee looks like idiots. And I think everybody on that committee should be fired because they clearly messed up and they didn't read it properly and they didn't look into it or whatever. Granted, can they have because they've only got like one game of a sample size to see this backup guy. But if Florida State beats Georgia, committee, idiots. If Florida State gets beat by Georgia, even if it's by one point, if Florida State loses to Georgia – Another team that did not get in. Now, granted, according to you, it won't matter because they should have been in. So then they could have lost either way. But a team, a team that also did not get into the playoff. If they lose to Georgia with their backup, then I feel like they have no real right to say anything because then technically the committee made the proper decision by not putting them in because they weren't the same team as they were before. I think that hindsight can kind of make their decision look better or worse. But the committee should not be selecting for a month out, being like, okay, who's going to be the best team in a month? They should be selecting at the time who is the most deserving team. And you could even make an argument that the best teams are the most deserving teams because if you won all your games, you're the most deserving team, you're the best team. You didn't lose. And Alabama had games where they looked bad. Texas had games where they looked bad. Georgia had games where they looked bad. FSU might have had a game that they like might not have looked as good as others, but they still won. And I would understand it a little bit more if – Jordan Travis would have got hurt in like the final drive of the ACC championship. And it's like, uh Oh, what's Florida state going to do? But Jordan Travis got hurt with four weeks left. Tade Rowmaker went out there, played good, won a multiple games. And then in the ACC championship, they played a true freshman. He threw for 50 yards and they beat a, the 14th ranked team in the nation by multiple scores. And they had almost no pass offense whatsoever. Like in non-existence offense. And 
their defense just went insane. Like, it's almost more impressive they're going out there and beating all these teams with their backups. And now because you, now you want to fault them for having that backup. And it's like, well, they just won the without Michigan it. They game. just, yeah. The Michigan-Iowa game, Iowa's defense proved that they can make a game that they probably should not. And so that's where, like, Florida State, I think their defense is probably about as good as Iowa's, and their offense is definitely better, even with a third-string true freshman. So that's where it's like, if you don't think they can hang with the big dogs, uh, clearly they can, because Iowa just did. And even, like, the Iowa game, like, I, I, Iowa had one of the best defenses in the nation. They still lost by 26 points. Like, I don't think that win is as good as what some people are making it seem to be. Like, yes, Michigan beat them 26-0 when they have one of the best defenses in the nation, but Iowa had a 1,000 more punt yards. Watch the they, first half. Iowa, like, only got past the 50, what, like one time or something, that whole yeah. game, and then they didn't even score off of it. They got one of the worst offenses in the nation. They were, they were dead last in yards that they accrued in the Power Five. Out of all Power Five teams, they were dead last. They punted for 1,000 more yards than they did just gain total yards of offense. Like, that's just not a good football team. Like, they have a good defense that they win, like – uh, grueling games, they they're over for that game was set at .5. All they do is score. Like they were expected to not score, and they didn't do that. Their offense is literally just so bad. I don't think that that wins all that great. And the the uh, Michigan game, all I'm saying is, or Michigan team, they beat Iowa in that game. It's not that great. I think their one good win is against Ohio State. That's like wow, that's a really great win. And like they've had other rank wins, which is good. Obviously, like I was making my whole case on FSU about that. But the fact that Michigan got put as the one seed when Jim Harbaugh at the beginning of the year was suspended for the first three games uh, due to, like, I think something that he he cheated during COVID. He was having illegal practices or hosting illegal recruiting visits or something like that. How do they not lose their bowl eligibility? Like, teams have lost it for so much less than a, like, cheating sign-stealing – sorry, the Steeler Thunder, but a stealing sign-stealing – sign-stealing scandal. Like, that is, like, true – like, that is cheating – Exactly. Cheaters never win, but they always win. Look at the Patriots. The same thing with the Flategate, which I guess that's kind of sort of maybe been debunked, but not fully. But, like, you just look at cheating in general. It always works in sports. You never get screwed unless you're, like, Reggie Bush, and that's just stupid. You have to be a nobody. If you're a nobody and you cheat, they're like, oh, that's bad, and then we're going to punish you. But if you're Michigan or you're someone who has, like, that, who has kind of built up a reputation, they're not going to do anything to you. And the fact that it'd be one thing if Michigan had one three-game suspension for their head coach or one violation of NCAA rules, they had multiple in the same season, and one for a sign-stealing scandal, and they still the one seed. Like, you had multiple. They didn't get penalized even at all. Yeah. Like, I mean, yes, it's impressive that they won multiple six games without their head coach, but how do you not lose your bowl eligibility or at least get, like, punished, be like, okay, you're the one seed, but you cheated for a large majority of your season? You know, let's knock you down to the four. They didn't get anything. And you said that Michigan's one good win against Ohio State was against Ohio State. Even then, I wouldn't really say that's that good of a win. Ohio State, like, I feel like they're just going off, like, name and what they could do. Like, this year, Ohio State was not a top five team or whatever they were ranked for most they of the time. They were what they were last year. They like they have good pieces. They have a Mecca Egbuka. They have uh they had Julian Fleming. He just answered the transfer portal. They have Marvin Harrison who's like the biggest prospect I've seen since like Calvin Johnson. But you see all the like they have big names, but it comes down to is the quarterback able to like make this team look good? Kyle McCord is dog shit. This dude is transferring because he can't handle the heat. He's not good. I, me and my some of my friends are saying that he's going to go to the MAC and that's where he's going to dominate. And he was playing at Ohio State. Like, Michigan lost or won that game because Kyle McCord played terrible. On that final drive, bad pick. Bring and, back Urban Meyer. 
Exactly. They need him, man. Exactly. Ryan Day can't do it. Exactly. But everyone's saying, like, Michigan's good win was against Ohio State. Honestly, Ohio State shouldn't have even been, like, ranked third at that point. They probably should have been ranked, like, 10th or 11th. But since they're in the Big Ten, who what's considered, like, a better football conference. Really not. I'd say it's, like, middle. It's, like, Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State, and that's it. And then, like, Iowa, but Penn State I wasn't guess. even that good. Well, Iowa has no offense, and Penn yeah. State kind of was just an end. Yeah. Penn good, State was solid, good. but they were, like, yeah. they were, like, a good team, but not, like, a championship good team. Yeah. Like, they were, like, yeah, ranking them 10 through 15 – Fantastic that's the space Big for Ten's them. Problem: How they split up their two like divisions within the conference. It's yeah. you have Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State on the same side, and that's why you've had Iowa with zero offense and Purdue being in the Big Ten title games. Like those are pathetic options. But Purdue but, was awful last year, and would like come on. Exactly. So it's like you'd put Big Ten out of like the Power Five. You'd probably put them three when it comes to, like best conferences and. So everyone's like, oh, since they're in a middle of the pack or better, like at least it's just not the worst conference, everyone's going to say, oh, Ohio State's good and what they've done in years past, they're going to be good. But they just really weren't that good this year. They've had – they had plenty of scary games, but they're going into halftime against – I think they went to, again, into halftime at, against Minnesota tied or only up three. Like Minnesota, it should not be that close. But Kyle McCord was so ass in their run game this year was a little less – under like way underwhelming than what it should have been because Travion Henderson's a stud, but they couldn't get run game going and their quarterback is just not good and I just don't see that being a good win for Michigan. Every single team that made the CFP had caveats against them. So all I'm gonna say is how do you if every single one of them has caveats, how do you keep Florida State out after winning all those games? It'd be one thing if it's like they had no flaws or they did everything right and then Florida State had like oh well they're missing a quarterback. I'd be like okay you know you have four other thirteen and no teams. That makes sense. But how do you have Texas, who plays in one of the worst Power 5 football conferences, because Big 12 is not normally good at football. They have horrible defense. It's all offense. They When TCU won last year against Michigan, that was the first time a Big 12 team had ever won a game in the CFP. And then Texas lost a game this year. You have Alabama, lost a game this year, played way too many bad teams close. Washington, yes, they, um, they played in the Pac-12, which is might even be like rivaling the Big 12 with one of the worst Power, uh, power 5 conferences. And they played a lot of teams close. Yes, they had good wins against Oregon. So, I mean, I, I think that Washington deserved to be in there. We already mentioned the Michigan cheating scandal. So, how are you taking the ACC, who you say is a weak conference, but is one of the best Power 5 conferences for football, and Florida State, who missed a quarterback for four games, and they won all of those games easily with a second string or a third string true freshman quarterback? How do you leave them out? I don't think Washington has any ca- caveats against it. I think Washington – I think – I guess going off, if Michigan got that cheating scandal against them and they weren't bowl eligible, I think Washington, honestly, even now, I think Washington could have been the one seed. Because you say, like, like they won very good games, and then they also beat Oregon twice, which helps them a lot because Oregon, after they lost, was still a very good team, still shitting on other teams, other ranked teams too. And then, again, at the end of the year, they still beat Oregon again. And I understand it was close, but still, I think two wins against a team ranked all year and then even got higher in the ranks at, like as the season went on. I don't think Washington is really like could be contested. I yet. think their caveats are what people or why people thought they were going to lose to Oregon is because Oregon was beating down all these teams and then Washington was playing everybody close in their conference. Yes, they still won the game, so they deserve to be in because they're a 13-0 Power 5 conference champion. 
and they won all the games they're supposed to. They beat good teams, and then they get in. Florida State goes and waxes everybody with backups in, and then now they're suddenly out. They didn't lose a game. They waxed everybody, beat everyone they're supposed to, beat them down, and then even played through adversity. And just just because they had one guy get injured, and everyone else is doing like either playing really bad or you know cheating or doing something else. Like Florida State thing isn't even performance based. It's literally because one guy got hurt. Like that's it. I I get worked up when I'm thinking about it because Florida State got astronomically screwed. You say that they waxed teams after he got hurt. They beat Miami by seven, and then they beat which that wasn't a whack, like they didn't shit on them. And then North North Alabama, which they did shit on fifty eight to thirteen, but it's North Alabama. I have two things. One is a yes or no question. If Michigan did get screwed over by the NCAA. So, obviously, if they would have just not been able to go to the bowl, they would have still won their game, and so Ohio State would not have had a chance. If they would not have been allowed to play in the Big Ten title game, Ohio State would have gone and beat Iowa. Would Ohio State be in? Yes. Say that one more time. If Michigan got screwed over by the committee, or not the committee, by the NCAA, and said they were not allowed to play in the Big Ten title game, so Ohio State would have played Iowa instead of Michigan, would Ohio State have made it? After they lost to Michigan, but Michigan can't go forward, so Ohio State fills in their spot from that yes. division of the Big Ten. They still would have been in. And then they win the Big so. Ten championship. Do they get in? I would, have think so. I would think so because... Because then it comes down to another one-loss team going in. And that one loss was against a two, right, two at the time, I believe. But then also, I think they would have gotten in because of the history, and it's like, oh, it's Ohio State. That's, it's a bigger name school. Yeah. They and then my other in. point was, did FSU get screwed because Notre Dame isn't in the ACC? They didn't get to play Notre Dame, and Notre Dame played Ohio State close. Um, they lost to Clemson, so that makes that Clemson win look a lot better. But they've also beaten a couple other pretty solid te- – I guess Notre Dame also lost to Louisville. So, never mind. I guess that doesn't even matter. So, yeah, like you can discredit FSU's wins all you want, but Notre Dame is also a historically big school, and Florida State shit on all the teams that they had to play. So, by not playing Notre – so, like, it shouldn't matter. But do you think if FSU had played Notre Dame at any point during the season and beaten them by, like, even just a touchdown – do you think that would have been enough of a resume builder to overcome the injury? Mm-hmm. I'm like at a loss for words right now. I'm I don't like, think I'm it matters. Like, obviously, yeah, like it's not important. I kind of like zoned out there. I won't even lie because I just keep thinking. I'm like, I just, I cannot get over the fact that they left FSU out. Like, if you lose, if you have a, the last few games without your quarterback. Why Why even – and you have all these games that they play and they won and went 13-0. Why even play the games? At that point, just take your top 25 teams at the beginning of the preseason, have them do a battle royale, and that's that's a CFP. Like, you just – you don't even let the top not tw- top 25 teams play. Earlier I said the thing about Ohio State didn't look good because they went into, like, half times against – like, played some bad teams close. And I said Minnesota earlier. I met Maryland. They went to halftime tied, which that shouldn't have happened. But, yeah, just wanted to and, clear my mistake. And one thing I want to say also is that – if Florida State went 13-0 and and you're going to discredit all their wins early in the season with Jordan Travis, Texas beat Alabama in like week two. Oh, yeah, and then played nobody the rest of the year because the Big 12 is not that good. That's and then they got in They got in because, like, oh, they're 11-1 and and they're a Big 12 champion. That's and they why beat, I don't think Texas should be in. It should be Georgia. They Texas should be out and it should be Florida State. 
Like it's if it how, how is Texas you, in as the three seed? And it's like whenever you want to discredit other teams for their early season wins, but then Texas gets in on the merit of one early season win, it's bogus. And but, I hate Texas too. So like I'm a little But heated. because Alabama beat Georgia is the only reason. Because like, oh, Alabama is a legit team because they're beating a team that's one. So that's why, oh, so when Texas beat Alabama, Alabama was a legit team, which at the time they weren't a legit team. So I agree with you. I I, I know what you're saying. I agree with you that Texas shouldn't be in. But I think that Alabama win is the only reason, they, obviously, is the only reason they got in because Alabama beat Georgia. But for Florida State, LSU was ranked f- uh, fifth in the nation. They're still a really good team. They beat them by three touchdowns. That's not a legit win. They beat a team who beat a national title contender like throughout most of the year. Like People were thinking Notre Dame could be their year. They're a historic team. Louisville beat them. Louisville comes and plays uh, FSU in the, in the conference championship. They beat them by 10 points with a third-string quarterback. I understand what you're saying, but the reason – that early season win against Alabama looked good is because they went on later in the season and beat Georgia. LSU didn't go on to the season and beat a top five team to make them look like, oh, yeah, this team is actually insanely good. So at the beginning of the season when they beat them, that was an insanely good win, which I understand they were ranked five at the time. But because Texas beat Bama at that time and then now Bama comes in and beats number one, then like, okay, yeah. That means Texas is also legit, but also Alabama's legit. Should we get rid of the AP poll? Because it doesn't matter if you look at week by week. LSU yeah. was ranked five at the beginning. Yeah. LSU's not any good. Should we just if we just got rid of the AP poll and purely looked at merit base for the college football committee things? Because like basically what they're doing almost is they're looking at who did you beat number wise, and then the only one that seems to not matter seems to be the FSU versus LSU one. Mm-hmm. So what if we just got rid of all of the rankings and just told the committee, well, I, again, so would FSU have gotten in without AP rankings? Because then it would have purely been down to those committee forms. I still think they wouldn't have because, I think again, they they're going to come down I, to the head-to-heads, which is why they're going to put Texas over Bama and Bama over Georgia, and then they're going to come down to that last caveat saying, is there anybody that will be missing that's changing the team? And again, they're just going to use the same excuse. So I feel like it comes down. I think the committee did everything they could right because they didn't think with their hearts and heads. They went strictly off of the piece of paper they were given to make the decision on. The problem is the piece of paper sucks, and those mm-hmm. guys have no yes. balls to still just say, nah, screw the paper. This team deserves to be in. I think I think that if there was no AP poll, Florida State would have been further away from making the playoffs because now that it's not the AP poll and they're not going off numbers, they're just going to go off the name of the school then. So FSU, you're, honestly, Georgia and OSU, or Georgia and Ohio State would have jumped over FSU then. You might have potentially even had Oregon jump over them. Like, I think no AP, I think the AP poll helped them out more than no AP poll. But see, that's where I would go against you in saying that because if you look at the records, FSU is undefeated, Washington is undefeated, Michigan is undefeated, and if there are no rankings, which people would make ranking whatever throughout the season anyway, but you can't say, oh, well, Washington beat XYZ really good teams because those all got ranked through the AP poll versus it would literally just come down to eye testing the ACC versus the Pac-12 teams kind of going off comparing Washington versus FSU's resumes. But on, what I'm saying is, like, I don't even think Washington would have made it either. If there's no AP poll, I think it would have been Michigan, Ohio State, Bama, Georgia, Texas, Oregon. Maybe, or actually probably not even Oregon at that point. It would have been those six teams or five teams that would have been battling to get a spot. And then even then you could toss in a couple other teams potentially, but I think it would have been no AP poll, those five teams, purely because of name and what they've done in the past. 
I think you need the AP poll because yeah. it shows that who when you're when you're playing them, how good they were at the time you're playing. Because when you play them, that's like where they're ranked. When you play them, that's when you play them. Like you're later on in the season, they might not be ranked, but you're not playing them ten weeks down the road. You're playing them when you play them, and at that time, they were the fifth team and the fifth best team in the nation. Exactly. That's why I don't think that you can discredit these early wins that and FSU's getting screwed. But then it's like they're keeping it like not a or like not a two way road. It's a one way street. Like FSU is getting screwed because like oh discredit all their early wins because Jordan Travis is out. But then Texas is getting all the merit before their early wins. It's like Bama. Yeah. yeah, it's like how how is FSU getting left out? And that's Texas lost. Exactly. FSU didn't. That's my thing. Yeah. And again, this even goes back kind of into the Cowboys argument. But this is just sports in general. People always will say, well, when you beat them, it looked like a really good win. But as you've seen them progress, they don't look like they're, they're clearly not as good a team. That doesn't matter. It matters when you play the guys head-to-head, one-on-one. You're both digging your cleats in the ground. Who's going to win? Who's going to be the bigger man? Who's going to take over? It doesn't matter what it looks like later down the road. If you are an undefeated team, that means everybody's going after you week after week, and if you win your game, props to you for that. Yeah. Like You can't discredit a team for playing a game and not and winning. Exactly. That's that, like I hate the week or like the discrediting. I'm saying like that's how that's why it is. I don't agree with it, but that's what it is. But, like, I don't get how FSU wasn't – if they were to be in, I don't think they should have – they should have been in over Texas, which I still think it should have been Georgia. But, yeah, I don't know. I just don't know how Texas got in, purely because of that discredit or credit the win based on who they played and who the other team that you beat played. I just – See, I actually so. do take that. I think head-to-head should be the number one thing mm-hmm. because – if it's between Alabama and Georgia, Alabama just beat Georgia. You have to put Alabama in. If it's Texas or Alabama, you have to put Texas in because they beat Alabama, and that's where it doesn't matter when they played. When they played, one team beat the other team. They both equal had equal opportunity to win that game. They both showed up. They both played. Weather doesn't matter. Nothing matters. They both went to the game. They played the game. One team came out ahead. So for the rest of the season, if they don't play each other, even if, like, so, I mean, I look at, like, basketball. First game of the season, you could have a team that beats the number one team in the nation, and then that number one team in the nation goes undefeated the rest of the season, and the other team goes, like, 500. If I'm on that team that went 500, if we beat the number one team in the nation, we think we can beat anybody, and we still think we're better than them because we beat them. Yeah. Like, obviously, when you go down to, like, NCAA tournament brackets, yeah, one team's going to be a one seed and one's barely going to be getting into yeah. the tournament. But at the end of the day – when we, we played beat. you, we beat you. That was an upset. That's something you can keep with you forever. I think Purdue is a better team than FDU. FDU beat Purdue. Yep. You can't say anything as a Purdue person. You lost that game. They played at the time they played. It doesn't matter that they had a bad game. It, is, it doesn't matter. One team came out ahead. One team won. And so that's why I do hate that they're discredited. It, it is exactly what you said. They're discrediting Florida State's early win against LSU because LSU didn't turn out into much, and they're taking – Texas's win over Alabama is basically the only reason Texas is getting in. And even then, LSU finishes the 13th ranked team in the nation yeah, by the exactly. CFP's playoffs. They beat Louisville. Louisville was the 15th seed. Notre Dame, who lost by two touchdowns to Louisville, was the 16th seed. And FSU, like we just mentioned, beat Louisville by 10 points with a freshman quarterback. Mm-hmm. They played Clemson early on the year, beat Clemson at Clemson by a touchdown. Clemson finished in the tw- uh, 22nd by the CFP's own rankings. So they're beating good teams, yeah. and then the good teams, they're playing other good teams and winning. So it's like, I mean, yes, FSU didn't play some of these teams head-to-head, but by extension, they're beating these other teams. And they, I don't, I don't get it. It's not like they, like Evan said, the UCF team, they're playing good teams. The teams that they're beating, it's not like they have weak schedules. They're beating up on good teams who have also beat good teams. They didn't lose a single game, and they get left out. Yeah. 
I I don't know, and like with the LSU team too, I don't know if you mentioned this earlier, but they have, I would assume, is the Heisman and Jaden Daniels, but then also a receiver who's this year was probably better than Marvin Harrison Jr. I'm going to mainly because of the QB that was throwing it to him, but Malik Neighbors was also at least the second best Q, or receiver in the league or in college. So it's not like LSU dropping from 5 to 13 throughout the season is like bad by all means. They lost to good teams. But their team is still good because they have the Heisman and then potentially the Blitnikoff receiver. Exactly. Malik Neighbors is going to be a top 15 pick in the NFL draft this year. So they've got probably. I mean, you've got studs on that team. It's not like they're going out exactly. and being an LSU team that's like, oh, well, they're all hype. And then, like, it'd be one thing if they beat them first game of the season and then finished off, like, four and eight. And they were like, oh, wow, we were really wrong about them. Mm-hmm. But they, the fact they still finished 13th in the nation exactly. and they beat them by three touchdowns. It's, I, I think the more we've talked about, it, the more baffled I get. And the thing too is, is with college is that, yes, it was only eight to five in the ranking, so it's like, it's still a good win for uh, FSU against LSU from the eight and five. But CFP looks at it as or college like committee looks at it as like, oh, you lost to a seed lower than you, drop them a lot. So honestly, in that LSU game, they lost to an eight seed or the eight, they probably dropped to like fifteen because of that one loss. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know. But I wouldn't be surprised because the way they do it is that if you lose to a seed lower than you, you automatically just drop a bunch. It's in college basketball and college football. It's exactly. kind of dumb. Which you drop way too much for losing to teams that are slightly, slightly worse to you than you if they even are worse than you. I agree that like it's uh, that they grade losses too heavily. But it's like you see all the other teams they play teams like OSU was ranked number one in the nation by the CFP's own rankings at one point this year. They lose to Michigan, drop like six spots. Florida State didn't even lose a game. There are teams that have lost games that they're just like nope, better than an undefeated team. Whenever every other time someone else loses, they drop them ten spots. But then these one loss teams are getting it over an undefeated team who is a power five champion and beat other really good teams it's like every single time that we just like keep having a conversation about it. it's like you guys bring up a point i'm like okay fsu should have been in and then i bring up a point I'm like oh fsu really should have been in exactly. and i'm like how did the cfp leave them out mm-hmm. so if you think with the cfp if instead of that last caveat saying take into consideration a player or a coach that will not be there for injury whatever reason that it is if that caveat wasn't in there instead they basically put look at what is happening with the team, taking the eye test to consideration among all of these other things, do you think Florida State would get in? Or do you still think they would say, we really just don't think Florida State can get in because they don't have their quarterback? That would have been in. It's purely because Jordan Travis is out. That's all it is. Exactly. Florida State would be in. And I feel like the CFP is almost being like, oh, well, because Florida State's missing uh, their quarterback, it's not going to be a good game. They shouldn't be putting people in because they think it's going to be the best game. They should be putting people in because of how their season played out and that they deserve to be in. It's not like – exactly. And if you wanted to be like, oh, it's the best team in the nation and you value the SEC so much, then they would be putting in four SEC teams every year. Like you'd be seeing eight and four teams get in, but then like a 13-0 Pac-12 team or 13-0 AAC team wouldn't get in. Like Cincinnati got in as a non-Power 5 undefeated champion. And got obliterated. Yeah, and they yeah they got drilled. Like their offense was just not up to part of that game against Alabama. Their defense actually didn't look that bad. But like you're sh- you're giving love to non Power Five teams into the CFP over a Power Five undefeated champion, and it's bogus. But going off what you said about the Giants, I think like looking back now, and say, like I think the way people do it, and saying like discrediting that Cowboys winning against the Giants, I think that like proves almost the point that going like. Going back into the season and discrediting wins or crediting them based on who they've beat and all that 
is I don't even know how to explain it, but like the Cowboys beat the Giants at the time, and everyone thought the Giants coming into the season were going to be good because of what they did last year. So now looking back at it, obviously we were all wrong. So it's everyone's going to discredit that Cowboys win because of that. But like at the time, the Giants were supposed to be good, and they honestly kind of looked not that bad throughout the out throughout the game. Then yes, it was forty nothing, but honestly, besides like their offense actually looked kind of decent. They marched down the field that first drive. But we just blocked the kick, and then after that, it, like everything just kind of went our way. Like they, like we made a good tackle on Saquon that coughed up the football, even though it was pouring rain. And then we got a pick six off of it. And then after that, it was just game was over. We just demoralized them. So honestly, in that game, the Giants still didn't even look that bad. We kind of just we just played better, honestly. If the Giants were nine and three right now, would you have counted it as a bigger bigger win? It was nine to three. No, if the Giants were nine, oh, a nine and three team right now, would you have counted it different? Would you have taken that win into consideration differently than you do knowing that the Giants are not good? Honestly, I just take that. I honestly just take that win like that's a good win for us because it's in it's a division win. I honestly. think it's a good win to go regardless. Exactly. But the fact, like, yes, you would hold it with a little bit more because it's like they're nine and three, but you beat them twice. So it's like then the fact you beat them a second time while they're still like hypothetically nine and three. Then you having two of their three losses. But also, like, because the Cardinals beat us two weeks later, so it's not like all te- like a team that's bad is guaranteed to lose to a team that's good. Because the Cardinals beat us, obviously. So I think like any win in the NFL is a good win because they're all pros and they all made it there for a reason. So like I I and like I said, it's the Giants. That's probably our second biggest rival. So they probably had a fire in their ass to come in and kick our ass. I think we're just that good that we were able to, like, just not let them do anything. So either way, I think I just look at it as a, as a good win. Any closing thoughts? Especially with it being 40 nothing. Tiger's back. That he is. Cole? Yawns into the mic instead. No. I was taking a deep breath. Oh, I thought you were yawning. Nothing. Well, my final thoughts, uh, aces by 90. Let's go. Obviously, I, you made a face call. Obviously, I do not think the Aces are going to beat uh, BYU by 90. But watch out for UE, man. That's all I'm saying. Well, it's been a great time being back. Had another episode. So we will catch you on the flippy flip. <laughs>